Welcome in Rose City to Soccer Made in Portland. I'm Ryan Clark, joined by Chris Reifer. It was an eventful weekend for PTFC, particularly for the Portland Timbers, a 4-1 to win over the rival Seattle Sounders. Fully gutted the fish, bones and all. <laughs> it, was a, it was a thrashing uh, with a, an explosion in the final 20 minutes of that match uh, with four goals started with a tremendous bicycle kick from Dyrone Espria, which set Providence Park on fire. People around PTFC have talked about that being the loudest they have heard Providence Park since MLS Cup. That would that's a pretty uh, major statement from from the club and and something that is exciting and and could it potentially be a turning point for the team after what has been a very rough start to the season. It's been a lot of doom and gloom on this podcast uh, and pretty well earned, honestly, given the <laughs> given the issues the team has faced from both an injury standpoint and a performance standpoint. But uh, Chris, having watched the entirety of that match, unlike myself, who was you know, meandering around Las Vegas, Nevada in, in various states of inebriation. Uh, what was your take aways from that game? First of all, one of the weirdest MLS games I've, I've ever watched. I've never seen a game just totally flip on its head uh, the way it did. And, 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 and credit. I mean, and, and that's, <laughs> that's not by way of, of saying the Timbers were bad. That's, that's in giving them credit for flipping the game on, on its head. Um, it's giving Dairon Espria credit for an unbelievable individual performance. Crazy goal. I think that's probably his best one in terms of degree of difficulty. Uh, that is a really, really, really tough goal uh, to, to, to hit a ball that, that's sort of driven in like that. As a bike, I mean, that's, that's just so good. Uh, the technique is is incredible. He clearly he clearly, he's talked about how he practices it. He practiced that the the the, the day the week before uh, in training, and like the the technique there and the individual effort is unbelievable from a guy who has like really come through and and at times bailed out uh, the Timbers multiple times over the last few years. Uh, here we go again. Uh, Dyron Espria playing the hero, and he truly was uh, in, in in that first goal. And then credit to the Timbers for really seizing the initiative. Uh, after that, they they sort of took the opportunity that Espria gave them, and they ran with it. And it was a Timbers team that we saw in that last twenty minutes that was more decisive, more aggressive than than we've seen them in the past. It was frankly the first time I think we talked last week about how it sort of felt like the Timbers were acquiescing in their results a little bit, like they weren't not putting in effort but there definitely wasn't any much much in the, in the way of fight back right the there there wasn't much in the way of folks getting stuck in in that last 20 minutes they got stuck into that game and they just outfought the sounders uh plain and simple and you can win games that way and the timbers just did and, and i think that's that's enormous credit to them and I, and i think it it should and it does give them sort of a path forward. I think as part of that, they need to also, you know, sort of take an honest look at, at, at what preceded that too. Uh, and, and because, you know, that those previous 70 minutes uh, and, and the, the games before that, they haven't su- suddenly sort of vanished into thin air. Those problems didn't suddenly go away. Uh, and, and, you know, if they can both take the hope 
uh, and take the encouragement out of the last 20 minutes while also may, remaining realistic and grounded uh, about some of the challenges to date, uh, I think it absolutely does provide them uh, a path forward. Now, if they get drunk on the last 20 minutes and they think that that, that, that suddenly all their ills are cured, uh, they're in very likely in for a headache uh, going facing two very, very, very uh, difficult games at Cincinnati and at St. Louis next week. And so, uh, I mean, overall, it was a lot of fun. It was an enormous amount of fun. Uh, I mean, both in terms of the, the, the stakes with the rivalry, uh, the spectacular nature of Espria's goal, uh, the just kind of shocking game, the way, uh, the, the, the shocking way that the game played out. Uh, it was a ton of fun. Uh, and it was the, you know, it was absolutely the most fun. Uh, a Timbers game has been, I think, since uh, since MLS Cup in 2021. Now, it's not the highest bar ever, but even if it was a higher bar, that was a great game. Uh, and and so I, I think it does give hope for the future, but I think that hope needs to come with uh, a sense of reality about where they are and what they need to do in order to replicate uh, results like that and carry that forward. Right. I mean, they can't be hung over going into those those two matches on the road at, at Cincy. If they are, they're going to get crushed. Yeah, it's it's going to be rough if they do. Like St. Louis has proven that they are a legit team. They it, their positive start was not a fluke. They are, they are capable of and likely will make the Western Conference playoffs and and be a team that can make some noise. Um, Cincinnati, same deal in the East. They they are one of the better teams out East, and um, any road match is difficult. Uh, but those two in particular, back to back, are going to be a major challenge, particularly when some not all of your rotation players are going to be a little more tired uh for that second one than they might otherwise be with the midweek game in the US Open Cup uh, against Orange County uh which nobody is allowed to watch apparently uh, except for <laughs> me and whoever else covers the game secret soccer <laughs> yeah some secret soccer maybe I'll I'll throw a periscope broadcast on my phone I haven't used the periscope app since I was <laughs> like in college so maybe i'll maybe i'll do that nobody has rights they can't just they can't yell at me so i can probably just set my phone on the edge of the press box (laughs) and you can have a a really awful blurry view of the game in in fairness i i do want to point out uh and sort of apologize for uh it that really sucks for orange county fans and and you know i know people are are often dismissive of fans of lower division division teams uh i mean 13 years ago, that was us. 13 years ago, that was Timbers fans. Uh, and and yes, the Timbers had a great following when they were in the lower divisions. Uh, and and that is what part of what helped them get up to MLS. But, I mean, bottom line is 13 years ago, that that was us. We were fans of a lower division team. And, and Orange County has fans too. Uh, and it's obviously impractical for a lot of people to travel midweek uh, to go to a game. I mean, it's impractical for people to travel for games you know, regularly at all, right? It's a long trip. It's expensive to do that. And so it, it really stinks for Orange County fans that they're not going to be able to watch uh, the game. And it feels like a huge miss from a sort of growing the game perspective, not to put in the minimal effort necessary to, to, to broadcast that game. Right. The U S open cup is a historic tournament. It's something that, you know, they want more people to care about. They haven't been able to, you know, maybe break through in the way that they would like in terms of the tournament's popularity, in terms of getting 
MLS clubs to care about it. I mean, the fact that the Timbers are more than likely going to have a heavily rotated lineup on Wednesday tells you everything you need to know. Um, they, of course, publicly will say that they take it seriously, that they want to win trophies, that they want to be part of of that in as competitive a way as possible. But at the end of the day, they're going to prioritize it's, the MLS. It's the Timbers' best season. chance at a trophy this year. It is. At this point, it is. So maybe maybe they will prioritize it more than I am giving them credit for. But most teams don't, right? Most teams are, are treating it as kind of an afterthought. And you're not helping that cause, and you're not incentivizing them not to when you don't broadcast the games. And and that's not just on, on U.S. soccer. That's, that's on these individual clubs, including yeah. PTFC, who – very much have the capability to put one camera up somewhere in the middle. They're already the going to be there. They have cameras it. for the stadium scoreboard. They like the, that infrastructure is already there. <laughs> I mean, I mean the, the, that's what frustrates me about this is that it, it's, it's minimal effort to put in. And I, I feel, I mostly feel terrible for orange County fans. Uh, yeah. When you're a lower division team, these, these open cup games against MLS sides are some of the most fun games of the year. They're some of the biggest games of the year. And it it just stinks. Uh, and, yeah, and I, mean, look, I, look I wish different decisions had been made. Right. Look at what happened last year. Sacramento Republic made it to the final. Yeah. Like that, that, that in itself showcases what's great and exciting about this tournament, that stuff like that can happen. And why not broadcast the entirety of the run? But, you know, we can get back to talking about how, how, how the Timbers had a very nice result against Seattle uh, on the weekend. Uh, but with yes. apologies to our friends down in, in the OC. Absolutely. Um, we do wish there was a broadcast and, and yeah, returning to, to the Timbers and, and their state of play right now. I mean, everybody um, seems to be back in their natural positions. Uh, a guy who benefited, great, benefited greatly from that uh, was Santiago Moreno on the wing. Two assists was far more effective than he had been in the previous seven games. He was really struggling uh, in more of an eight role uh, throughout the season. And, and, he talking to him this week in a feature that is on OregonLive.com right now. Shameless plug. Um, he, he's very happy to be back on the wing and and you know continuing to break through and have positive performances and put together a strong season. That's important for him. He's a young guy that has ambition to play in Europe. He's a guy that people behind the scenes, whether it's executives or coaches, uh, have said has the ability to go play in Europe someday and. Not only would that be good for Santi and would be a great jump for him in his career, but it could net the Timbers a boatload of cash if he is as valuable as they claim he is, right? So that's a big thing for, for Santi. It's it's good to see him back in his position. Um, Evander still figuring it out, it seems, ha- wasn't terribly effective in the Seattle match. The, the goals actually all came after he came off the field. Uh, Frank Boley is, is in at striker and, and has been a welcome addition, but Nathan Fogas is the one that scored the goal at that spot. And so interesting to, to see how things are shifting and uh, improving and remaining stagnant and, and everything when it comes to the attack. Um, and, and in defending, I think that other than the, the Rui Diaz goal, um, the, the Timbers, I think, based on on the statistics based on what i've heard from people who've talked about the game uh they were solid and that's a continuation i think of a trend generally with the exception of a few shocking moments when when the 
the deck was less stacked, I guess, than it currently is. Yeah, solid defensive game. I, I don't I don't think it was a you know, a blinder by any means, but solid defensive game. Uh, I, I think they can take some heart out of that. Uh, I think it was better than it was against Vancouver. I, I think the, the scoreline probably flattered them a little bit against Vancouver a little bit, especially given that <laughs> literally two goals were called off. Uh, but the Whitecaps had a lot of chances in that game. And the Sounders didn't have a ton of chances. They didn't have a ton of chances in the first half. They had one or two. One sort of on a break where it looked like Jordan Morris was going to be in. But Claudio Bravo defended it very well uh, and and shut that down. Uh, and, you know, they, it, in sort of that, that 20 or 25-minute period after halftime, the Sounders created a decent amount. That goal was coming that the Sounders scored. And it was a, a goal in which the Sounders pretty well tore the timbers apart, right? I mean, it, it, was, it was a good team goal for the Sounders uh, to give them credit. They did a really nice job of using the ball to empty out the timbers midfield, and then they were really decisive and getting the ball to the byline and then cutting back the ball to Rui Diaz in the space that had been vacated by the Timber Central midfielders. That was the, that was sort of the whole thing was they did a really nice job of pulling David Dajala and, and Diego Chara out of central midfield and then exploiting that space uh, that had been created by that. That's, that's good attacking soccer. And so credit to them for that. Probably a moment where the, that the Timbers can look at and say, all right, we can learn from this. If you're learning from your wins, that's, that's a good thing. Uh, learn from this and, 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 uh, and, and, you know, talk about how we're going to handle situations like that in the future. Cincinnati is a team that's going to try to do kind of similar kinds of things, uh, especially with given how mobile they like Luciano Acosta. I'm not sure he's going to be back. He didn't play last week. Uh, but if he, if Lucio is in the game, they like to move him around quite a bit to try to create a similar kind of dynamic. Um, I don't think they have anybody who is quite as good on the cut as somebody like Raul Ruiz Diaz. He has made a lot of money scoring goals like that. Uh, but he recognized the space. Uh, Obed Vargas, I think, who had the assist, he recognized the space and where to put that cut back, cut back ball. And and so tip your cap uh, to some extent on that. But that had been coming. The the Sounders really had sort of seized the initiative of the game in that first part of the second half uh, and and deserved that goal. But overall, I, I think if you look at the the Timbers defensive performance as a whole, you'll take that solid, uh, and 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 that put them in a position where something like Espria pulling out that goal can help you, uh, and, and so I I think they deserve to deserve credit for that. Uh, it re- hopefully really is a moment that unlocks Marino a little bit. He has been the maybe the healthy guy who has underperformed the most there have been you know i mean there there have been lots of lack of contributions from folks who haven't been healthy he has been healthy and i think get in light of the state of all the chaos around him the timbers probably really hoped that he was going to really step up in this first part of the season and it just hasn't happened for him uh it's been frustrating uh he's faded out of a lot of games and it was great to see him in that second half really start to take uh take the game on uh, and and put in the kind of performance that we came to expect from him last year. So I agree. Uh, I, I think his you're right that his best starting point is out on the wing, uh, but he's a guy who just needs a little bit of positional flexibility, which Gio Sabarese likes. He likes his wingers to have positional flexibility to go find the game a bit. Uh, and I think that's basically what happened is he sort of just started to find the spaces in which he was going to be able to dictate the game. Uh, and he did a great job with it. The, the ball in particular that he put into Fagasa that set up the second goal uh, was outstanding. 
really good ball, really decisive ball that 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 allowed Nathan to take that great touch into space uh and and really exploit what was I think a pretty disappointing moment defensively for the Sounders where they were frankly just a bit of a mess uh and and between Santi and Nathan they killed him for it uh, and that's exactly what you want that's that's good soccer good soccer is capitalizing on other teams mistakes uh and and uh I I think with with Moreno sort of starting to find those spots in which he could dictate the game a little bit he really got into that place I still think he actually mishit the cross <laughs> that that is Rhea scored. <laughs> uh, he, he will way to, take way to suck way to suck the joy out of the wonderful. He will take there. the assist. I'm pretty sure he was trying. I mean, that whole attacking sequence actually was was a bit of a maddening one. It, it was it was maybe one of the worst examples of something that we've been talking about a lot this year, where the Timbers are very narrow and very static in their final third attack, and they were yeah. very narrow and very static uh, in that. And actually. Christian Paredes, to his credit, I think recognized this and and started to flare out to the far side. Uh, and I think Santi was trying to pull out Paredes, left it a little bit short, and then Dyron just went Dyron uh, and, and and buried it anyway. <laughs> but uh, but look, I mean that, that that's a little bit beside the point. Uh, getting Santi a couple assists, he definitely was dictating a lot of the game in that last twenty minutes. That is that is what you really sort of seize on and hope for, uh, to be the thing that that gets him going a bit, and 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 I think that that's possible. The other guy who I thought, especially in that first half, had a nice outing was Davide Ajala. I thought he was great in the first half in particular, uh, and I I think uh, I think Gio noted that in his comments at, at training this week, if I'm remembering my Twitter right, uh, and uh, and and I think that's a really positive development for the Timbers. Uh, now again, remember that second goal came largely from he and Chara sort of as a unit being pulled out of position. So again, something to work on, uh, something to get right. But, uh, overall, I I think both defensively and in terms of his presence on the ball and the just phenomenal passing range he has with that left foot of his, uh, that was an encouraging performance for him and something to build on. Right, and and I think that um, Ajala's performance and and Paredes's performance are are things that the Timbers are likely excited about because Paredes was work- phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, he, was he, he was a huge from, from driving what I've been told. force in 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 sort of that last twenty or twenty five minutes. It, right, he, and, and as that's important huge. as any player. That's huge without Williamson, right? Because. Uh, Williamson is somebody who, uh, among the players who had been healthy at the start of the season, had probably played close to the best and had been the most among the more important contributors for the Timbers as they uh, have worked their way through the early part of the season. And that's part of why, you know, beyond the personal tragedy for it, for, for Williamson, like it's, it was devastating for the team because they're losing a guy who unlocked a lot of what they did early in the year and, and would have, I think benefited from everybody coming back now and, and probably had a goal contribution in this Seattle game, the way that that, that game went. Um, so Paredes and Ajala, to, to, for them to, to step up and, and do what they did, I think is exciting for the Timbers, particularly because there was a pretty decent-sized question mark around Ajala once he got healthy. Like, is he the the young potential player that we that we think he is, or is is he potentially not gonna gonna live up to that billing because last year Gio talked about him in, in high regard and thought of him as somebody that could could be part of the future here in Portland and and 
if he shows more of, of what he did in that match, I, I think he is. Paredes, though, as, as a more veteran player, as a more experienced player, I, I think um, showed better and, and is somebody that once he's back to, to full form after the hamstring issue, um, he seems to me like a regular starter that's, that'll be pretty reliable for them. I think Paredes is a better stylistic fit with Evander than yeah. Williamson is. And the reason I say that is Paredes is he's he's better defensively than than Williamson is. He's not the player that Eric Williamson is. Eric is a phenomenal playmaker. He's incredibly fun. Uh he is a guy who can unlock chances for you, but he doesn't play in possession with the kind of tempo when we actually saw this on I get I get the goals of the last 20 minutes mixed up because there were four of them. Uh, but I think it was the third one uh, that that Nijgoda ultimately tapped in on the second rebound. Uh, the uh, the it, w- we really saw the t- the Timbers benefit from the tempo and the verticality with which Pradis plays, and that's exactly the kind of stuff you want from an eight. If you have your sort of more attacking eight in the four through three, which by the way, I really think that they probably do want to be looking more toward that four three three kind of dynamic where Evander is playing underneath the two wingers uh, or wide forwards uh, than uh, the four two three one. It's a subtle difference, but I, I think it's going to be end up being an important one. But in that dynamic, you would like to have an eight like Paredes pair with uh, a little bit more playmaking oriented uh, central midfielder like, like Evander. Um, just because you can use sort of the the difference in tempo between them to your advantage, right? If Paredes is is moving the ball quickly and getting the Timbers moving forward, then that creates a little bit more ability for Evander in the light of a, mo- a defense that is be- that Paredes is forcing to move. That lets Evander find some more of those spots to pick him apart. Uh, and so I really like that style, that sort of at least conceptual fit between the two of them. And I think the the way you put it about Evander is, is just exactly right. They're just not there yet. And when you zoom out to a 10,000 foot level, you kind of understand why he's a little bit late getting into camp uh, because of just the mechanics of the signing and, and, and all that stuff. Uh, And then pretty shortly after he got into camp, the wave of injuries started, he got injured himself. He missed some time. And so in a combination between him missing time and just sort of, of, an ever rotating cast of personnel around him. There's just not the trust and there's just not the understanding between him and the team yet, which is why I think a lot of times you see him finding the ball in pretty good spots, but then it just slows down because it just seems collectively like he's kind of looking at being like, what are these guys going to do? And everybody else is, is looking at him being like, what's this guy going to do? Uh, and it just slows down. And very often the windows or half windows that were there are closed by the time everybody's on the on the same page, I think that's going to get better. I'm still not too worried about it. Uh, I think the Timbers were better after Evander came off, but I also think that's probably some correlation more than causation uh, than anything there. Uh, but it's got to get better <laughs> because at some point he's he's too important uh, for uh, of a player for the team to to you know not not get huge contributions out of him. I think it'll come still. I'm not terribly worried about it, but you would hope as they're getting healthier ish, it's kind of, it's kind of a two steps forward, one step back kind of situation, but as they're getting healthier ish, especially in the spots around him, at least uh, you would, you would hope that that understanding really starts to grow now uh, and, and that we see 
him start to sort of fit a little bit more easily within with what they're trying to do in the attack. Yeah, they're they're healthier ish. They they have gotten guys back, but now obviously a, another step back, as you said, Claudio Bravo out on Saturday due to a calf injury. Um, this week I had heard it was basically kind of 50-50 whether he would play or not. They ended up ruling him out. Uh, probably the best move. Don't want to risk it when you have somebody uh, like Justin Rasmussen who uh, has stepped in and hasn't been, you know, a major step down. He, obviously you want Bravo out there, but he's somebody player, that though. he's a very different player, but he can step in. Right. Yeah. And, and he's somebody that you don't feel nervous about putting out there. Um, he, he's got a couple of years now under his belt, full year plus some change. Um, Bravo's out. You know, Sebastian Blanco and Jimmy Char are rounding in the corner, uh, particularly Blanco. Yeah, they'll I, be coming I, around the mountain when they come. <laughs> yes, they will. They will be here. And and uh, Blanco in particular, I think, might be the first one back between the two of them. Um, he's really excited. You you see it on his face, just the, the joy of of training in full, of having no limitation. Um, even if, you know, the way he plays changes, even if, you know, you, you watch him at training and, and we were able to watch the full training on Tuesday this week. Um, he's probably not going to be a winger type player, right? He's, he's probably going to be somebody that is, is more suited to a super sub type role, quote unquote, uh, in, in the central midfield, a, a connecting force, somebody who very obviously has not lost the skill that has made him such an all time great Timbers player, but um, definitely his pace is different and, and is, just given the nature of the injuries that he has faced, it's it's better for him not to to push too hard on the pace and, and be a winger type player like he has, has been at times in the past. Um, I could see him being a, a sub for a guy like Evander at, at the 75th or 80th minute once he c- does come back. Um, and, and that's a very valuable thing, I think, for, for the Timbers uh, if, if he's able to contribute it positively in the ways that we know he's capable of. It'll be interesting to see how that reinvention goes. It's not given how Blanco's played throughout his career. Uh, you know, I mean, he, he was kind of a temper oriented guy. Uh, you know, he's not a guy who, who really sat back into spaces. He really sort of pushed the issue uh, in running at defenders in in driving into defenses uh, and looking to play make that way and looking to score goals that way from from the wing. A lot of his runs, especially uh, across the top of the box, were kind of his signature moments, right, where uh, where he would do that. You know, can he do the can he still be effective if he's not kind of driving tempo the way he used to? Uh, it'll be interesting to see that uh, we do. You do see players who kind of find a little bit different element to their game as as they age and as they lose some of that that physical ability. Uh, that they exploited throughout much of their career uh, and nonetheless who, f- who find success uh, in doing that. And so it'll be interesting to see how that evolution and reinvention goes uh, for Seba this year. I very much hope uh, and would only find it fitting if he is able to come back and be impactful uh, because of everything he's given to the club over the course of the last, what, five, six years now. Uh, he, you know, I mean, he, I want to, I want to see this guy go out on a high. And so I, I hope it goes very well. Uh, I think it it is unclear how it's going to go, but you know that that's sort of how it is. Uh, I think Jimmy Char coming back though is is going to be sort of a show me moment for the Timbers. And what I mean by that is is you know 
Chara, Jimmy Chara is, has not been a difference maker for the Timbers the last few years, but he has been a sort of reliable and just consistent sort of cog in the machine. And when the machine has operated well, that's, he's been an important one. Uh, I think him coming back is sort of going to be a, okay, how much of, of the early season struggles were because of injuries and how much was because there are, you know, sort of bigger non-injury issues uh, within the team. I, I think we'll see that a little bit when uh, when Jimmy gets back. And so it uh, sounds like we might still be a couple of weeks away. Uh, from from that being though that's not a huge shock i mean with with it sounds like his hamstring injury was a reasonably significant one and those are just slow returns they're really prone to setbacks and so you need to be really careful uh in my long past athletic career i had some firsthand experience with that uh and uh and 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 so you know it, it when you have a significant hamstring injury like that it's just not one that you can really rush back on the field uh, and so it's unfortunate uh, that it's taking as long as it is, but it's it's it was foreseeable and and as necessary. Right. Yeah. And and his was worse than Paredes. His Paredes came back earlier, as as everyone pretty much expected. Uh, Jimmy's been training for a couple of weeks. It's it's steadily been ramping up. He's now um, at the same point as as Blanco is, where they're both training without any visible limitations. That that's what we saw at least on Tuesday. Um, so it's it's exciting for him i think that he you can see it on his face you can see that he's itching to go he's he's a competitive guy um but yeah it, it, it's a big test for him because you know he's he's a designated player and at this point he he hasn't really been the designated player difference making type of person that that they have anticipated or that they had wanted from him and there were flashes of that, I think, in the preseason and, and in the early part of the season before he got hurt, uh, particularly in that first game. I think he, he made a solid difference. If I'm remembering correctly, he he had some role in, in Mosquera's goal. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 he was there. But he was and, only and, there for about 25 minutes, if I'm remembering right, before he, before he the popped injury. the hamstring. Yeah. So, so, so that that's <laughs> you, you haven't seen anything yet, yeah. and and he's obviously not going to go a full ninety right when he comes back. He's not going to be, you know, himself maybe for a couple of games, but he has the potential to be this really pacey, exciting, dynamic winger that they that they want him to be. The question is, is he going to be that? And and that's not to say that this last part of the season is going to be the final test. Like if he doesn't meet those qualifications then he is going to be shipped off somewhere else and they're going to free up that dp spot maybe that happens maybe it doesn't i i don't think that that's going to be the case i think if anything jimmy will stick around at maybe a a lower salary if things don't work out as well but the dp spots for the timbers are pretty flexible right now they, they um you know saba is technically one but he has not been one in the past because he's in the high Tam range, all complicated nuance MLS nerd talk, but you know, it's, it's going to be an opportunity. I think after they move on from Neoscota, who is not a DP, but is a high salary range person. If but they could be a DP because he's in that range where he can either be sort of in Tam and you have to spend a lot of allocation money to, to buy him down. Or you DP him and you save the allocation money, but you use a DP spot. Right, right. He and, and Seba are, are sort of neck and neck, it seems, from everything we know 
in that in that range. Yeah, and and you would expect that this is probably the last year for Sebastian Blanco. There has not obviously been anything announced yet, but you, you can anticipate that that DP spot at the very least will be freed up either by different means in the summer window or after this season is completely over uh, and, and they want to go nab somebody else in the off season. Just in, in terms of the right now, though, in terms of, you know, the potential off season moves, I, I do know that the Timbers are targeting a center back before this transfer window closes. I believe closes the deadline on Monday. is yes, it's on so, Monday. Tar- so target quickly tar- targeting is happening. And the question is, is can they get something over the line by then? Um, it, it's a position they obviously want to have more depth at after selling Bill to Ilama. I can't imagine they're going to use all the money they sold Bill for just to get another center back unless this guy is a major upgrade. Then, then that's essentially what you did. You, you traded him away for somebody that was better, but it wouldn't make a lot of sense if he was a, a person they brought in that was essentially a wash from, from Tuiloma, because then why, why'd you make the move? If, if you were just going to get a guy that's essentially the same type of contributor, that's, that's not where their heads are at. They, they want to get somebody that's an immediate contributor uh, that can potentially um, be a starter early on in their time with, with the Timbers and, and be a key piece. Um, and, and then the, the Timbers have talked publicly, Gio Savarese, Ned Grabovoy and others about wanting to sign somebody from T2. Um, that could potentially happen before this uh, transfer window is closed as well. Um, there are different candidates that, that you could look at from T2, but I, I think that the most likely one would be Noel Kaliskan, the, the young guy that drafted out of LMU. Um, he, he's somebody as a, as a primarily defensive-oriented midfielder who makes a lot of sense given the injury to Williamson as, as somebody that you'd sign as a depth piece. Yeah. Right? They need that. They need that depth in that spot. I mean, really, you know, I mean the six, eight positions are two positions as suggested by the fact that there's the six and eight uh, positions. Uh, and, uh, and they really only have three guys right now who naturally play there uh, in, in Chara, Ajala and, and Paredes with Williamson on the, on the shelf. And so they just need, uh, another spot. It sounds like he, he's Kalskin's had a, a a good sort of start to the season uh, and has uh, with T two and has looked good when he's trained with the first team, which happens fairly regularly. Uh, and so you know that that's I think a pretty obvious move, uh, and is and is one that wouldn't be surprising at all. Expect those kinds of things to happen Friday or Monday. Uh, pretty standard for that to happen immediately before the closure of the transfer window. Uh, in, it's not altogether clear to me that it needs to happen before the transfer window. I'd have to brush up on my rules to remember if sort of an internal move like that uh, requires being in a transfer window. There are some moves that don't. Um, but regardless, I think regardless, that's one that just makes sense just given the state of the roster and there's no real reason to delay. So I expect... You know that's a that that that's perfectly sensible. Uh, they, I think they do need uh, to reinforce at center back, and you know, I mean, they got eight hundred thousand dollars in GAM from uh, the Tuiloma deal, but eight hundred thousand dollars in GAM when you're tr- when you're bringing in somebody internationally goes pretty quick. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they spend all that money on uh, on whoever comes in, but I think that's exactly the bargain, right? Where they think they can go out and use those resources in a way that'll give them more return than, than Tui Loma 
uh, did. Now the onus is just on on Ned Grabavoy and his depleted office uh, to to make that happen. And and you know we'll see if it does. Uh, there really hasn't been any rumblings online of anybody connected the, to the Timbers. Sometimes they do a good job of keeping these kinds of things very quiet, and so we could very well still see something on Friday or Monday pop up uh, and and be an addition. But it we're getting down to it. Uh, they, it's it's going to either happen now or it's going to have to wait until summer. Uh, and I think if you're waiting till summer on that one, it's, I mean, it's a little bit disappointing, right? I, I mean, then you really are looking at, uh, an overall winter transfer window in which they added Frank Bully. We'll see if he's going to be a difference maker, uh, and, and Evander. Uh, and that's it uh, uh, from a roster that in 2022 looked like it needed a pretty significant overhaul. If that's it, then I think you have to say that they didn't get done in this window what they needed to get done. But, you know, they they got a couple more days, so we'll see what they do. Timbers obviously head on the road to face Cincinnati on Saturday. Uh, then they will return home for that U.S. Open Cup match on Wednesday against Orange County SC. Once again, no live stream. For that match <laughs> boo. boo indeed let's move on to the thorns they uh they had a draw against the houston dash on friday uh, i was also not in town for that but was able to catch the highlights and uh catch up on that match then they go on the road last night to san diego for the challenge cup uh that one was a 1-0 loss um some of the same issues you were saying between those two matches in that Portland threw a lot at the wall, but not a lot stuck, right? They, they, and this was an issue that I think Portland had last season, despite being the best goal scoring team in the NWSL uh, is they had a high volume of chances in some of these disappointing matches, but this did not convert. And, and I don't think it's a matter of focus. I don't think it's a matter of tactics. I, I think that, um, there, there was a phrase, and and I, I don't remember exactly what it was because I'm not from from Newcastle. But you know, last night Mike Norris had had a phrase that that had something to do with the green of the grass and the kick of the ball, or some something to that effect. And uh, he he chalked it up to that <laughs> that sometimes great. the the ball just doesn't go go your way, and and sometimes you don't get the result despite positive performance. And I think overall there was a positive performance for Portland. I, I don't necessarily have as rosy a view about it. I, th- I think that there are issues here and there that, that you don't want to let linger and, and you want to get a good result against Louisville, Rossing Louisville on, on Saturday. Um, but, but I think they will. I, 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 I'm not as worried about the challenge cup in terms of like, what does this say about this team? I, I think that, they would be more concerned with the the lack of conversion in the Houston match with the full roster and and at full throat uh, at Providence Park um, than they would be in that one, uh, and, and they would hope that that doesn't carry over in, into Louisville. Yeah, I think the common thread between these two games, and both were disappointing results for the Thorns. The common thread though was really was just finishing. In both games, they created plenty of chances, more than enough chances to score once or twice or three times. Uh, and, and they didn't quite finish him off, which just happens. Like it's hard to score goals in soccer. That's about as hot a take as my like two positions take a second ago. 
it's just hard to score goals. And, and sometimes it kind of just doesn't come off the, you know, I, so I, I'm, I'm not jumping, uh, on, on the, the concern wagon, uh, just yet. If this sort of inability to, to finish off chances lingers for another couple of weeks, I think it's, it's, you know, something more to talk about. Uh, but you know, I, I think there was nothing really to be concerned about, uh, in, in the Houston game in which, especially in the second half, the timber, the timbers, the thorns were just totally dominant, right? Houston, I thought was, did a good job, uh, in the first half of being disruptive and using their press, uh, to, to kind of be a problem and to create some scoring opportunities. And they, they did get their goal, uh, from a moment like that. Uh, in, in in that first half, but I thought, frankly, the dash ran out of gas pretty quickly, uh, and it turned into pretty close to one way traffic uh, in the second half, and the Thorns just couldn't find uh, find the breakthrough. But between the first and second half, they had plenty of chances to do so, and just didn't quite come off. Uh, the 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 San Diego game, there weren't quite as many chances, but I mean, you're playing a mixed lineup on the road at a good team. And yeah, San Diego also had a mixed lineup and they sort of mixed and matched personnel as they went, probably finished a little bit stronger in terms of personnel than they, than they started. But, you know, I mean, the, 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 I, I think it's, that's a, a really understandable sort of environment in which to have some of those struggles when you don't have your sort of typical uh, personnel on, on, on the field and you are mixing and matching. It's just hard to play on the road that way. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And and it's not like they weren't able to produce, you know, serious quality no, chances. I mean, Christine Sinclair had a through ball to, to Soph that if it was a hair further back, Soph puts that in the back of the net. I mean, there there was a, a shot from Adriana Leone in her Thorns debut that if it weren't Kaylin Sheridan in goal, that one might have been in the back of the net. Right. So Hannah Bedford had a had a number of chances even late on. She had one free header that that she didn't quite convert. She had a couple other moments. She had one where where one deflected to her and she put it just wide. You know, I mean, there were plenty. There was plenty there to if you just sort of control for some finishing variants. And there are lots of there. A lot of the statistical nerds basically say quality finishing is a myth. Um, And that it's kind of just like there's there's sort of just like variance that happens. And it is very. It would would be very easy, and maybe we'll be looking at this in a couple of weeks after the Thorns rack up a couple of wins and, and and put a few in the back of the net and say, yeah, finishing variance. That's all those two games were, um, because otherwise they look pretty healthy to me. Yeah, they did, and and um, th- there was nothing in that game tactically that caused me any concern. There there wasn't any stagnance. Is that a word? Stagnance? Stagnantness? Yeah. I'll let you get away with it. Definitely not sure. stagnant. Stagnantness? Is, is, Stag, stagnant. Stagnus? No, no. Absolutely I, not. I, Go with stagnance I, and I'll let you get away with that. I won't fact check you. Sure. Fine. I'll look it up after the podcast. But the <laughs> there has been none of that in, in the last couple of games for, for the Thorns. I think that they are still the team that, that walloped the first two, two teams they played this season. Um, they are still incredibly dangerous. They're still incredibly deep, experienced. And they added Adriana Leone, who is somebody that, um, you know, whether she's coming off the bench or, or starting is, is another piece at the at the forward spot, particularly as a winger. Who I thought had who, a really good debut. Yeah, the she better had a really debut good than debut. I expected. Yeah, she, she was ready to go from the jump. And um, it's interesting. She's playing with a bit of an edge, too, because yeah. she she 
hasn't maybe gotten the opportunities that she might have liked at Manchester United. And it even seemed like there were pointed remarks after the game to indicate that she was, you know, fed up with that in that she said, I am the type of player who deserves these opportunities to, to play some, you know, first team football leading into to the uh, world cup. And, and so this is her opportunity to do that with a, a great franchise that will happily bring her in. I mean, yet another Canadian in, in a, a room full of Canadians and, and um, you know, that's exciting for, for them to, to play together and to be around each other leading into the world cup. But for her, it's, it's a little bit of a playing with an edge situation. And that's nice to have somebody like that on your team, even if it's only until June, you know, to, to, to add a, a little more sharpness and an edge to a team that very easily could rest on its laurels. But obviously nobody that we've seen on this team is anywhere close to that. Frankly, I, so last week, I think I probably just said this. <laughs> I thought this was basically a couple month loan to, uh, to give the thorns a little bit of additional depth before the world cup and to let Leon get a, get, get, or, or get a little bit of, uh, of, you know, sharpness before the world cup. The way she played and then the way she talked after the game, uh, I think this might be a couple month loan with a, hey, my goal is to prove to you that you need to keep me after this uh, kind of uh, kind of thing for her. Uh, and that's great. I But I, I agree. I, I think she was really incisive. Uh, I think she she was relentless at times and, and was one of the Thorns best players. And so really good debut. And I think that's that I'm now more excited, frankly, about about her addition to the team than I was a week ago, because I, I, I think she uh, she showed that she's not just here to get sharp for the World Cup. And and that that adds an, an, an interesting wrinkle, uh, I think, for the Thorns. But, you know, I, I mean, this window is just a really challenging one. And I think the the rotation is unavoidable from coming off the international break to a, a home league game to a midweek away Challenge Cup game to a weekend home league game. It's a lot of travel for a lot of their key players. It's a lot of soccer for all of their players. It's especially a lot of soccer for a lot of their key players uh, who were who were playing for their national teams immediately before this window. And so the the rotation is unavoidable. Uh, and, you know, I, I think it, it's gone. You, the, the results have been frustrating. But in terms of the overall play, uh, as long as these finishing troubles don't carry over, I think it it's something that Mike Norris isn't going to lose any sleep over and shouldn't. Yeah, the Thorns still are who who we thought they were, right? That, that yeah. we're gonna. Well, you know, I mean, now they yeah. need to come back against uh, against Rossing, uh, and 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 going forward and prove that they are who we thought they were. Uh, they need to put some of these in the back of the net. Uh, we've certainly seen teams who could create lots of chances, but uh, but had a hard time converting that into goals. Uh, and and the Thorns need to show that they're not that. But I think it's too early to say that that's that's the concern because they certainly had no trouble scoring goals in the first two weeks of the season. And I don't think that is just like I don't think the Timbers struggles in form have entirely disappeared. I don't think the Thorns ability to score goals has disappeared either. Right. Uh, Rossing looking for a win early in the season and uh, haven't gotten one yet, but our uh, three draws for them thus far in 2023. 0-0 zero, zero against the Dash, comparable team to, to Portland in terms of results. 2-2 two, two against Washington Spirit, 2-2 two, two against Angel City. Um, solid 
results, I think, against three teams that one would imagine would be at the very least in contention for a playoff spot. I don't think the Dash are there. Probably not. But, you know, they're they're maybe going to be in the mix, especially now that, you know, if, if you factor in the fact that the Red Stars were in the mix last year and they're almost definitely not going to be this year. Yeah. Maybe maybe Houston's a team that steps into into that spot. But um, e- either way, I, I don't think it's going to be a, a laydown game the way the first two were. For Portland, I think that it's it's definitely going to be a competitive match that they're going to want that breakthrough, want those finishes, get two, three, four goals, and return to to the form that they had been in because it was only, if anything, a slight regression. I, I don't think it was a sign of trouble at all, as we've talked about. So this game presents an opportunity to do just that, and then just keep rolling until until the World Cup, right? Every one of these regular season games leading into the World Cup is big. These points Pick are up important. a ton of points. I mean, I mean yeah, that, that's you, the frustrating thing about the Houston draw is that yeah. those were three points that were there to be had for the Thorns, and all of these points are important because season's going to get weird. <laughs> like, it's it, it's going to get weird in, in, in the middle. Uh, and so you want to bank as many as you can early so that when things get weird, <laughs> you, you've got that in the bank to rely on. That game Saturday at 7.30 p.m. at Providence Park, uh, streaming on Paramount Plus for those with a subscription to Paramount Plus. Uh, I, I like the interface generally, just speaking to, to the Paramount Plus broadcast. I, I think that it's easy to find stuff. It's it's relatively straightforward. I, I'll say this, though. I, I do think that the quality of broadcasts the picture quality is brutal at times. It's like it's filmed on a potato sometimes <laughs> with some of these places. And it, I just, some places are better than others. I think it's probably because the teams have better infrastructure in some places versus others. Right. But, but Snapdragon's got good infrastructure. Yeah. You, you would think that a place like that, you'd want to show it off in the most crystal clear, stunning, close to 4k you possibly can. Right. It's San Diego. It's a beautiful place. But when I'm seeing like blurry shots of the beach, I don't know, man, it's, it's, <laughs> it's kind of rough to, to see that. And then the, the quality of, of the broadcast in general could, I think, improve CBS just, it just probably has to direct more resources toward it. And, you know, when all, all the other, with all the other sports that, that, network covers um unfortunately they they've probably not prioritized nwsl in the way that they should which is is a real shame because if we have like if there's if there's any lesson in sports over the course of the last year and cbs has benefited from this has been literally the entity that is benefiting from this at times uh it's that when you put resources behind women's sports it turns out people find that really compelling yeah, and they watch it, and I mean, they watch that, it, and that, that, and and this it is the most it is the the most obvious build it and they will come moment that I have seen in sports in my entire life, and yet there still seems to be a deep seated reluctance to build it. Yeah, I and I think ESPN is is starting to get that in ways that it had been certainly did with the, the with the women's college basketball tournament that absolutely blew up, went crazy. Yeah, yeah, that was huge, and and that. I think is indicative of what can and maybe will happen with NWSL if if the networks play their cards right, if they do right by the league and and have more nationally televised games, right? The the Casey Portland game is a good example. Most watched regular season match in NWSL history. The championship from last year, most watched 
in NWSL history of all competitions. It's not just that it's making history for the NWSL that's significant. It's that people are actually outside of our little tiny soccer sphere, ever growing, I'll say, soccer sphere. People outside of that are starting to to take interest. And that interest is only going to boon, as we've talked about, when the World Cup happens, when these women are on an international stage and, and ascend to a level of stardom that they, they haven't been before some of them, including Sophia Smith. Like it's, it's the opportunities there. They just got to seize it, honestly. And, and this and is across it's a matter board. of, yeah, it's with ownership too. Being. I mean, both OL rain and, and the Portland thorns are up for sale right now. I don't understand how we aren't seeing just a cascade of billionaires tearing their arms off to buy these teams. Like this is a, they're really affordable still <laughs> right now. They're really affordable, but like Damian Lillard could buy the thorns with one year's salary at the end of his contract. And he would, cr- and like, if you buy these teams and you come in and you manage them competently and you put, the infrastructure around them to be successful, they are going to crush. You are going to make lots of money. They are going to crush. Like this just seems, it seems like the most obvious value I have seen in sports. And it is the most obvious moment where it's, you know, and I understand that there are general economic sort of headwinds right now uh, with, with credit being expensive and yada, yada, yada. But these teams on the billionaire scale, these teams are still very affordable. Their operating expenses are not enormous. They need to be higher, but they're not enormous. And the commercial potential is just limitless. You have literal the commercial potential is limitless. And we're starting to see enormous commercial success come from women's sports when they are properly supported. This seems like an absolute no-brainer. Like somebody give me a billion dollars so I can go do this. I don't have a billion that, dollars. That, that's all you want a billion dollars for just to buy, buy a sports team. If I, if somebody came and gave me a billion dollars today, I would go buy the thorns. And I think that would be a very, very smart thing to do. <laughs> We're going to start a GoFundMe. Yeah. We'll see. How uh, that goes. <laughs> yeah. And to, to get Chris Rye for the Portland thorns, uh, put him in charge. Why not? Let's let's, we'll keep the podcast going too. You'll be the owner. And and we'll just we'll continue to podcast and you can continue to like gripe about things in the exact same way, even though you have a vested business interest. It'll it'll be You know, I've I've, it'll I've, be more I've of seen the same. I've seen the publicly griping owner thing play out and I don't know if it's the best thing ever. So uh I you know that if somebody gave me that billion dollars and I did become the owner of the thorns, I Ryan, I, I think I would probably retire from the podcast. But nonetheless, <laughs> Would you have a burner account, maybe, on Twitter? I'm I'm not going to comment about any of these things. <laughs> <laughs> I think that'll wrap it up for us today on on Soccer Made in Portland. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Soccer Made in PDX at Ryan T Clark and at Chris Reifer. Like us, subscribe to us wherever you get your pods. That's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else. Uh, leave us a review if you so choose, and we'll be back next week to talk some more timbers and thorns we got some u.s open cup to talk about we got some more mls regular season big game for the timbers and then of course 
the Thorns are back at home on Saturday against Ross and Beautiful. So uh, we'll catch you next week. Thanks, y'all.